Okay. <laughs> this, this is, is now, then. now then. Stories of people over, over 70 years old told in their own words. This is Newton. Well, as time goes on, as I say, every day you learn a little bit more. And as you look at the world as it portrays or personifies itself, you realize two things that you need to know that you have control over nothing but yourself. And two, if you seek truth, then the truth that you'll find is within yourself, because everything else is a fallacy. Everybody has their own individual truth. None of it belongs to you. How did you learn that? <clears throat> By being extremely observant. Well, my name is Newton Dunbar, and um, at present I'm a DJ. My working name is Newton Ace. I was born in Jamaica, that's for sure. On my birth certificate it says 19 blank blank blank. <laughs> and that answers your question. No more than is necessary. If you definitely need an answer, then I will tell you further along in the interview. But, um, you know, I've been on this planet for a long time. In fact, I'm in some quarters known or thought of as an old codger. <laughs> I was brought up in a religious family. I was taught about God. And of course, you readily with open heart accepted all the things that you're taught because Number one, it's not it's sacrilegious if you disbelieve. Number two, it's not holy. And of course, I'm not saying that what I was taught was wrong. There is a God that exists, but not in the way that I was taught. And I suppose you create an image of an ancient old man, bearded and serious and also with extra extra magical powers and then later I was taught that oh that God lives within me and that was a bit that made me think again and um, it means that this very powerful being lives within me so that would make me a part of a very powerful concept and I, I must uh, look back in retrospect that I have created something and the first thing that you're taught about God is the Creator. I've now learnt to be part of the truth that I seek. And the input that I've just made has put me on, I wouldn't say a platform, I'd say a stage, Shakespeare said it, you know, all the world is. I've always had a stage surrounding my life. In my previous business, which I ran for 30 odd years, the stage was a center point, and that was my world, and it, it was a stage. Madness, madness, they call it madness. Well, the Four Aces was a club that I started in Hackney, London, namely Dalston Lane, and it was the first club in Hackney in the late 60s. Music that was around was music that you heard in the pubs. And probably down 
in the West End. It was all ballroom type music. There was not nothing, there was a little bit of anchoring on swing and jazz, but then again you had to go to the West End to experience this. Those were the times when me and our friends were about exploring how and where we could go to enjoy music that we required because in Jamaica, which is where I'm from, the music that we heard was American type music, because we're very near to America, and we would pick this up on little box type radios that, you know, somebody happened to have either friend of yours or the appearance did, etc. Because that was quite a serious thing, having a radio. And of course my family had one, and this box type radio, where we as kids kind of became curious about listening and what we could pick up. The only station that we could pick up that we could understand was, music-wise, is Radio Luxembourg, strangely enough. And I remember hearing Elvis Presley coming over this radio. And, um, of course, when I finally came to England, this was circumstantially orientated, I wanted to leave Jamaica and my background because my parents were too strict. I was brought up in a very strict environment. I couldn't even go to the proms, so to speak. I could understand it was a protective thing initially because um, Jamaica, as it is now, had its own little click of danger zones and my parents kind of overprotected me in particular, but it all made me feel a bit restrictive and that's my reason for really wanting to leave Jamaica at the time. Looking back at that time, it was Jamaica was and still is the most beautiful place on earth, but it's got its dangers and that remains so today. So they say and justify that if you want to go to heaven, you've got to pass through hell and Jamaica personifies this in a way. And um, I came to England uh, to study. That was a credible reason. But my main deep down reason was to escape. I came here at the age of 18. And in those days, there were not many jobs. The only job that was available was on the railways. And I got a job at the railway at King's Cross. I then entered to a new world of how to live and to exist. And in those days, what used to run the railways were the steam engines. So I started working on the steam engine at my own experiences there, which is quite another um, phase. And of course, I stayed on the railway for about five, five years and of course forged some kind of existence and got to know steam engines. They became a part of my life then because they were like a living entity and you grew very fond of steam engines. But then at the end of five years, it started changing. It got into another phase. Steam engines were being phased out and they became diesel electric, which was more vibrant and efficient, etc. And of course, I then, like many people at the time, became very disenchanted with the railway and the changes that were being made. So I left the railways and went 
into doing something else, which is a stepping stone into what I eventually, the step I eventually took, creating my own business, eventually led me to creating my own music venue, which is a nightclub, which I will tell you has a different phase. So, can we have a little break then? Explain. <laughs> Yes, number one, I was intellectually aware that I was black and I saw psychologically what dictated my surroundings, control-wise, and that was mainly people who were white and accepted that because that's the way the world was as it presented itself to me. In the sense where I'm concerned, which is music, the music that was looked on as a very small input of things. It was black music, and it was small in its input. And everything natural goes in a circle. The wind and the weather and everything that we acknowledge substantially has gone on a circuit. In this particular instance, reggae music, which started in my days of promoting it, as a very small blitz which couldn't hurt anybody and it was no worry. And in doing so, it was enjoyed by a few who experienced it, but it wasn't acknowledged on a large scale. In today's term, it's done a full circuit, it's back on phase, it's mega. And one of the places it came through, or the main place and initial place was the Four Aces Club. You're such a good talker. Am I? Yeah. Ah, oh, well then. I'll have to use that talk. Propaganda, ministers. Propaganda, ministers. I've got a hymn view. I'm gonna walk all over you. As they say, um, looks fade in time. But I've learned the other technology, which I suppose you could say is charm. And it's quite natural. I don't have to make an effort in the sense that, um, you know, if you're genuine, things will come naturally. And I might not be everybody's cup of tea, but I may be somebody's cup of coffee. <laughs> And one of the things I like to think, I, I always incorporate humor in whatever I do. And sometimes it's not a, a controlled humor. It, it happens just, you know, on its own. And that, I think, is one of the key to having a happy, fun-ridden life. To always have humor in your capacity and which enables you to create not just a smile but a good belly laugh sometimes. So that's one of my secrets. It's not a secret <laughs> anymore. <laughs> but humor is a great thing. I, I like women much, much more than men. I don't have a lot of male companion because <laughs> some of it I found uh, is disastrous in the sense that 
men kind of miss the ball. They kind of envy you for what they see surrounding you. They don't know what it's taken to acquire or achieve that. I don't blame them for it. Probably would be the same if life treated me ordinarily, but it didn't. I had some very extraordinary experiences, and of course, that stood or still stands me in good stead of the how I present myself, and I'm a very genuine person, and I'm, I'm very sincere in what I do at the time, and for whatever agreed period of time there is. I'm a very active human being, and even though my method or methodology has changed, I don't chase, and in fact, I allow that aspect of things to come towards me, and when you say date, you mean on a personal level. Yes, because I'm a man and I'm still active in every department of my manhood, I suppose. But it's not the main priority. And I suppose I choose who, and they choose me too, substantially, because I say I find myself on a scenario where this happens automatically. Showbiz, I'm out there, and sometimes providence may assist me in, in that direction. <laughs> As I said, in the late 60s, I created the Four Aces Club. Me and three other friends who used to seek places of entertainment because there was none and we used to go to the West End because we were all young men and full of energy and we found little places that existed not known on a large scale the big venues like the Astoria places like those that used to feature ballroom dancing and that kind of music and you know gigantic crowds used to go to these venues People are people, they wanted entertainment. And they used to go to these places in great crowds. And of course, they were the dominant society. And reggae music was <laughs> just a little blip somewhere that the immigrants facilitated and the immigrants kind of brought into their own scenarios. And um, of course, the people that, that listened to this type of music were looked on in a derogatory way then. They were like outcasts and not normal. Me and the friends that we used to go to the West End and to places that were cropping up all over London, specifically in Labrador Grove and in Brixton, places that had a basement, which people who were kind of entrepreneurs got together and organized what was then known as a blues dance. And of course, at these blues dance or pay parties as they were later known. They used to be able to buy a bit of booze, which namely was beer, rum of course, which was part of their native connection. Jamaica had the best rum, the strongest rum. Barbados had the second running. But the main thing was beer. Anybody would be able to drink beer. There was the Red Stripe, which has still been still around today, resuscitated from its past. And it was done in half pint cans and they were charged of a bit of profit. So 
Me and my friends used to go to these occasions when it was convenient, when we weren't working or had other things to do. But it would go on till late, it would go on after midnight, and probably sometimes till six the next morning. And a lot of these people were not churchgoers, so the crowd that was there and what was sought then was entertainment, some kind of pleasure or fun. And um, this gave us the idea of, oh, if we could find a venue where we could organize the basics, which is music, and of course booze, it would be easy to do because the facilities were there. So we decided after visiting this place in, in Highbury, the basement from a boarding house was run by someone called Mr. Weeks, who was a black man from Trinidad. He used to open up the basement and the facilities, like the music and the booze, even during the week up to midnight. And then we'd go to this place, me and some friends, because we, we heard through the grapevine that this place was up in. And it would stop us from going to the West End, which is a long travel either on the tube or on the bus. So this place, which was local in Ivory, so we'd meet there. And after going there for roughly nine months or so, this place was put up for rent, this basement that we used to go to. So myself and three other friends got together and decided that we could run this place and turn it into our own venue that we controlled and probably earn a lot of money that would help us along the financial path. And it also would be fun. So four of us, including myself, got together and we approached this Mr. Weeks, who we got to know in that period of time and who saw that we were reasonable. And um, we decided to rent this place in Highbury Grove and we called it the Four Aces. King, Jimmy Ruffin, etc. This is where the stage came into play. We had a substantial stage, which was well organized and well prominent as a stage should be when you enter the room of the club. The stage presented itself, and I refer back to one of my Shakespearean input, all the words of stage. And of course, everything after I got that message, I call it a message, into my psyche. Everything that is happening in the world, whether by me or by anybody else, that has or will become substantial, a stage is presented. So when I saw this place, it begged to be used. And of course, I started booking live artists. And we had all these people booked on stage. We had the pioneers who were a very well-presented Jamaican reggae artist, three of them actually, called the pioneers. And in a very short space of time, Providence handed us something on a plate because during that period of time, you know, the media wouldn't play any record. They never, they didn't want it. Television, definitely no, but, Providence handed us this gift where an artist that was a reggae artist 
and which was being sold to us as a reggae artist and which we accepted was someone called Desmond Decker. And Desmond Decker was an artist which we anticipated having as a reggae artist. He was booked actually. And we usually book our artists by then three or four weeks before the venue. But in the meantime, he actually did something quite miraculously. He went into the British charts and he progressed into becoming number one. The song that he did it with was called The Israelite. I think there's a bit of mix-up there. He thought he was Jewish and he kind of, without people having a visual experience of him, he made it into the British art. And he, he did it just by his voice alone because people didn't actually have a visual concept of him and if they would have liked him anyway as a performer. And um, at the time when the booking fulfilled itself, he was due to be at the four races. He was number one in the British chart and that gave us a boost that was placed the club on the map. But you know, some Providence is a very substantial and powerful force and he came and the four races shunned that night as a great venue of people from all walks of life and colour, I must admit came that night. The four aces kind of did it, you know. So that placed us on the map. So we continued on the platform or the stage that we were presented on. And we started bringing in the big artists from America and from Jamaica. And, you know, during that period of time, we were a success. Some people, in a sense, will acknowledge you when you're a success. Some people who don't particularly want you to be a success. We looked at facts behind the smiling faces, and sometimes there weren't really true smiles. But life goes on, and there is the beginning, there is the middle bit, and then there's the end. And the end was quite dramatic, because at that point in time, politics came into play, where the building that I occupied, which is 12 Doster Lane, was a part of a great big building that stemmed from the past. And the building was a few hundred years old. They used to build them well in, in the past, in the days of putting buildings together. It had a lot of historical um, experience, and this is where I found that the powers that be on a political level, had their own priorities. And it meant where, at the time, real estate became the dictating powers, and where there was a lot of money to be made, on the level that it was supposed to create in real estate, was much more important than having a black club. Of course, the forces that I had to deal with were very powerful forces. Can you say what they were? I would class them on the political forces, like the powers that be, as the council, which is the ruling body for East area. Lots of problems from them at times. There's a the police, as everybody knows. In any business that personifies the possibility of big money, has to be 
in conjunction with what the police, what they say, and of course, that's reasonable, I suppose. It brings in some way of order, etc. And the concept's great, but you see, anything that deals with human beings sometimes goes awry. And, you know, I'm just saying that my experience then landed in the lap of the police and they had to dictate or control things under their level and sometimes their own input. But I was just one insignificant um, voice in the crowd and they were at some point in time shouting me down, to say the least, and physically, I suppose, if it came to it, dictating what my life should be in the way as I then thought of earning my living. So, there is a specific procedure for whatever in, in the political way, and if they meant to make you go away, assassinate your business, and in the sense I would view it as, with no apathy, it was a, a psychopath in its own right. They made it difficult for me. Police were on high alert and very sensitive alert. And, you know, when things got nearer and nearer after the legal papers were sent to us, and we protested, of course, but there's a way of dealing with that. They would kind of increase the pressure. So that's where I am. And, you know, as we counted down in the end, of course, as I said, we protested. Nothing else we could do. We were served with papers and bailiff's papers. And when it got to the date where I, things had to come to an end, and, you know, I left because I didn't really want to be involved in, in the bailiff's um, scenario. <laughs> and um, as I said, I moved on. Over 30 years, I'd accomplished what I didn't know I'd accomplished. I didn't know what the platform that I created in the 30 years uh, I ran as a club, I didn't know where it would lead me. And I didn't know that it would actually put me on a stage because being a DJ, you are on a stage. Um, there's quite a little incident that made me decide that DJing is what I wanted to do as a continuing active life after the club had closed. Someone called Nico, who is a Frenchman, and when I started speaking to him about, roughly about a year after the club had closed, and he knew the history of where and when I came from, and he asked me to play on, uh, on an occasion that he was organizing and to play some of the music that was in situ during my club days. Now, I went along with what little equipment I got together and I played that evening. And there was a crowd that was there that was 
Not necessarily the usual crowd that you'd find in the four aces because they were, by virtue of what the venue was, there was 90% white people. And as the evening went on, it was like they kind of got a taste of what black music was. And there was a substantial amount of people. 350 people attended this do that was nickel organized. And I was playing in the middle of the garden. And as the night went on, started about five, I suppose, and you got, I suppose, uh, 11 o'clock closing venue. But it was like they became mesmerized by this music. And it was like, <laughs> I described it as a sermon on the mount because this crowd that was listening was quite substantial. And when the time came to close, they didn't want to go. And of course, Nico, a Frenchman, is a, a bit more keen to facilitate what the audience was dictating. So we went on a bit over the time that we were supposed to, to close. And they were sat there listening. And, and when it came to the final end, which was in, uh, about just after midnight, <laughs> and that crowd that was sitting on the opposite side came across and they applauded. And, you know, it's quite something when a crowd of three and over 300 applauded in your face and for you, and I was completely blown away. But I decided then and there that this was what I was going to do. So a DJ was born out of that. Today I'm a, I'm a DJ. I DJ under the name of Newton Ace. And I played at quite substantial places, and at most of them. And even now, recently, I get applauded at the end. My name is Newton Dunbar, and I'm originally from Jamaica. And I've had the pleasure and the privilege to be on a stage or several stages and of course basically I have to say I control the advent or the admittance of music of a certain kind into London. So I'm a historical figure so they say and also a pioneer so they say and now I am that I am, so I say. <laughs> um, do you want to tell me how old you are? Definitely no. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. <laughs> <laughs>《Now Then》Now then is produced by Jesse Lawson with original illustrations for each episode by Catherine Cormier. For more information, email, email nowthenstories at gmail.com.